the Workforce Connections podcast, where we discuss workforce development in Southern Nevada. Here's your host. Hi, and welcome to the Workforce Connections podcast. I will be your host for this episode, and with me I have my father, Frank Martin, and I'm Guy Martin from Martin Harris Construction. So, Dad, um, I appreciate you kind of stepping out on the trust scale a little bit here because you are an agenda-driven, schedule-driven, and time-driven person. I appreciate you uh, uh, being here with me and, and not really knowing what I'm going to ask you. So um, we'll, we'll start off with some easy ones, and then we'll work into some uh, maybe a little more dialogue around uh, um, some of the challenges that the trades are seeing here in Southern Nevada. So why don't you, for the benefit of everybody out there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Frank Martin. I founded Martin Harris Construction in 1976. But more importantly behind that is that um, when I was in the sixth grade, I entered my first workshop, workshop or wood, woodworking shop. And, and that made me determine that I wanted to be a carpenter and it's something that I continue to pursue all the way through high school. My last two years of high school at Rancho High School in 60, well, 63, 64, and 65 was done in a vocational carpentry class. We spent three hours a day, sometimes in the classroom, sometimes out on a job site in somebody's house hanging sheetrock or laying plywood or doing things like that that introduces you to the trades. And it was my dream to come out of high school uh, and, and enter into the trades to become a carpenter. Uh, during the course of high school, I did win three different scholarships to go to school and um, in the industrial arts, and, and that, that's what it was called in those days, was industrial arts carpentry shop. And I turned down all three scholarships and, and uh, in May of 1965, got inducted into the Carpenters Union and into their apprenticeship program. Of course, a month later or two weeks later, they went on strike and stayed on strike until <laughs> September. But um, that was okay because I had, I had realized what I wanted to become as, sure. a, as a carpenter. Uh, my dad moved us here in 1961, your grandfather, and um, to begin drilling holes for bombs out at the Nevada test site instead of holes for oil. We had been an oil boom family for 20 years before that. And... Um, just the way of, way of life. And Las Vegas was the first stable home I'd had since, uh, well, I can't say stable home. That's a bad thing. The first same town that I lived in more than two or three months and sometimes two or three weeks. Um, my path to from high school to as a business owner was fairly simple. Uh, like a lot of people that go into business, there's an identifying factor something that kind of pushes you over the edge because I was very comfortable. I had the same job for 12 years for the same company and I got overlooked for, for a, a promotion. And uh, my ex-partner Frank Harris came to me one day, was out on the job site and asked me, um, why, don't we go and go, why don't we go into business for ourselves, Spider? And um, so we sat and talked about that and decided that we wanted to become a general contractor. And we laid out a business plan although we didn't know it was a business plan at the time. Um, and that was one of building a, a rebuilding a home and, and selling it and taking the profits and starting a company. And so for about eight or nine months, Frank and I would work our eight-hour jobs at the same company. 
And um, we'd work another seven to eight hours every day on Saturdays and Sundays uh, rebuilding this home. Sold it, made a profit, took the money, and uh, started Martin Harris Construction. Our total seed money at that point in time was $7,500. So, you know, one of the fond memories I have of growing up is um, when I was a small, when I was really a little kid, probably uh, six, seven years old, uh, maybe even younger, we lived over on Van Buren. Um, You know, that was what, a 120 square foot house in the beginning, and then you added on to it and made it into what it was. Um, I remember you coming home in one pickup truck and setting your lunchbox on the counter where mom always had a second lunchbox sitting there, and you grabbed that, you played with me a little bit on the on the floor. My name is also Frank Martin, but my nickname is Guy. And the ritual was when he came home between jobs, he'd walk through the door and go, where's my little guy? And I would always come running, and he'd play with me for a little bit, and I'd remember him pick up that, that lunchbox, go put it in a second truck. And you'd leave there, and you'd go sheet roofs at right. night for Jay to birdie. You would had the first two-stage air compressor in Las Vegas, the first pneumatic nail gun in Las Vegas. That drive... Um, that, that, and, and I hate the word drive anymore because it's become kind of the Kleenex, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of comment. Um, what, what role did your dad was gone. Grandpa was gone all the time. He was out working and everything somewhere. Grandma stepped in though, somewhere your mom stepped in and said, it's okay for you to be in a craft and trade. You, you started in sixth grade going into those vocational classes. Exactly. You kept that up all the way through high school. You came out firmly affirmed by your parents that, that it was okay. Your father was a tradesman. You came out as a tradesman. Um, where did that, where did that go? In in our world, it seems like that isn't okay anymore. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, son. Um, it seems like that the trade um, the working with your hands and so on got lost um, probably around in the educational system, probably got lost sometime in the, I'm going to say, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, where did, the, where did the, the desire come from? Um, I loved the part of working with my hands. I got a great deal of satisfaction out of working with with my hands. And here I am now, 75 years later, or 75 years old, and I still enjoy working with my hands because it gave me an ability to look back and say, I've been there, I did that, I've been there and I did that. And it wasn't just me being there, it was a group of people that you could put together that um, you got to build a team, you got to build um, a group of people with the same desires and the same um, satisfaction from looking back. Um, I'll never forget taking one of my granddaughters on a drive. Uh, we had breakfast and she interviewed me for a school project. And I said, did you want to go see the first project that grandpa ever built? And she jumped on it immediately. But on the way from the restaurant to that, to that house, we went by 20, 20 other job sites that we had worked on. And that was the part that was greatly satisfying. Um, I could never get a lot of satisfaction out of um, working with a piece of paper. That came later in life when I discovered being a business is paper, a lot of it. But for me, the satisfaction was 
getting up in the morning and, and, and as you drove to the next job site, you drove by three others that you'd been a part of. And, um, that was, that was greatly satisfying. And that's where the, the, the continuing desire, I call it more desire because that's what it was for me. It was continuing to build, build, uh, people, continuing to build projects, continuing to, uh, work at something that could be identified by, by you, uh, by my grandchildren and, um, something that will live on for a very, very long time. And, you know, I, I think back to, because I came up and, and, you know, I started taking drafting classes in junior high school and then going into high school. There was a, a program here called Area Technical Trade mm-hmm. Center, which was fundamentally the same vocational, I'll say longer hours of vocational time like you were describing where you were actually away from your home high school. You were at a, it's actually Desert Rose today, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of getting back to its vocational roots today. But we would go there for the first half of the day, and then we'd go to our home high school, and we'd have half a day there. And the one thing for me is, and, and this has always been really fun to watch, is that you've, you've made an entire career out of building people. You know, you retired and you stepped away from the company a, a few years ago, but the reality of it is you've never stopped building people. When I look at the folks and the life skills that you've acquired from being in the trade and dealing with people, building a business, managing through the tough times in a business, um, being fundamentally bankrupt more than once, and yep. then fighting back, I don't know of another place other than the skills and trades where you can pick up life lessons at that level. Um, rather it's not hitting your production units one day or your buddy getting hurt and having to go to the hot, I mean, whatever the, the life lesson is, the caring and the team building is huge. And, um, why do you think that so many parents work so hard today to keep their kids from entering the crafts and trades? And, and for clarity, when I say crafts and trades, I'm not talking only about plumbers, carpenters, pipe fitters, sheet no, metal I, workers. I, I believe that. The hospitality workers, I believe that the culinary workers, I believe that everybody that keeps our wonderful city functioning is a craft and trade at one level. But yet we have this overwhelming push to go to college, to go get student debt. I mean, to all the things that we preach against are being condoned. Where where does that come from? I think I think that in the in the beginning. Uh, when our company started enjoying some success, I got approached by school district, uh, by the school district, by a wide variety of schools. I spoke in probably about every high school in the city of Las Vegas in Clark County School District about about a career in construction. Um, that only lasted about four years. Uh, like I said, it was the end, maybe 79, 80 to 84, 85, 86, somewhere around there. And uh, because then it got to be a focus on, on college and, and within academia. And if there was no college, you basically didn't have a career and was not um, uh, deemed to be uh, a future success, somebody that needed to be watched, which I thought was, was horrible. I think that the, uh, I think that the, the reason that uh, people don't encourage their children to follow them in a trade, in a craft, in a um, 
working in the hotel casino industry, working in the food and food service industry. I think there's it, it's really twofold. One is is that um, especially in the trades and the crafts that that I'm so familiar with, is that there is a uh, they take for granted what is provided to them by that. Uh, and that could go down in even into the culinary union and um, or follow along in the culinary union. I mean, when you get in and you become a, a part of a, a craft or a trade or a profession like that, um, you get a reasonably good pay scale. You get benefits, health care, pensions. And uh, I think that the... The folks that work in that industry uh, across the board, construction or, or hospitality or whatever it might be, start to take it for granted that there's they come up with the misconception that there's something better out there and they want better for their kids. And and frankly, with with you and your brother, um, you guys were always focused on the construction industry, always focused on it. And, and uh, I can't say we discouraged that, but we also wanted to present the opportunity to go to school and, and, and be able to equip yourself a little bit better maybe than what I was um, because I graduated from high school and strapped on a, set of, on a tool belt and went to work. And I was, um, years later, I was ill-equipped to run a company that employed two, three, or 400 or, and eventually employed 1,000 people I was ill-equipped for that side of it, and I wanted I wanted our kids to be more better better equipped for that. And of course, your brother went the mm-hmm. way of college, and you went the way of learning and coming up through the through hard knocks and, and learning it that way. And uh, but I think that the men in the in the women in the um, trainable areas I'll use that word because that could apply to crafts, it could apply to hospitality. I think they take for granted their position and what that um, particular job has brought to them. It's brought to them a home, cars, children that grow up in a reasonably happy home. Um, and that's always optional based on the parent, what the parents decide to do. But um, I think they forget the benefit or take it for granted the benefit of having that level of job. I know that when I was in the carpenters union and I would deal with, uh, as, as a very young individual, 19, 20, 21 years old, I would have men that were 40 and 50 in my, uh, under my supervision, uh, which one presented a little bit of an issue to them. But two, when I talked with them, very few of them were encouraging their kids to come into the trade. And if you go back to 1980 or 85 in that, in that area, a carpenter was making $40,000 a year. Coming out of high school, four years out of high school, you could work, be making $40,000 a year. Yep. Now it's what, 75 or 80? 80, yeah. Four years out of high school? With no pre- debt. Huh? With, with no, no debt. With no debt, yeah. And, and a trade that you can do anywhere in the world. Bingo. I mean, you can take any. You're employable any place you want to transfer yep. it. It was the same with my father working in the oil field. It didn't make any difference if we were in lander Wyoming, Rawlins, Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, and North Dakota, or California, or eventually Nevada, his skills as a driller, as an oil rig driller, were transferable and, and immediately employable. 
Yeah, you know, you bring up the, the the transition that happened in the in the early '80s. Um, I graduated high school in 1987, and I I distinctly remember like the 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 death of the craft. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I spend a lot of time. I'm very blessed in my current role at Martin Harris, where I get to spend a lot of time with a lot of labor unions and a lot of different uh, tradespeople that we're not signatory with but they're just asking, where do I think the market's going and stuff? And I, I never, I'm never short on that opportunity to point out to them that, you know, there's two, two times that, that workforce gets developed. One is at home when you're not in that workforce, let's say your, your parents work in a professional environment and you get a flyer or you get an interaction with somebody that the kid respects, they bring it home to them. And much like I did with ATTC, right? When Kathleen Francini came to the theater at Western High School and presented the idea of Area Technical Trade Center and they had one called Construction Trades, I was all about it. Mm -hmm. I ran it home. To bring it home to that family that supports and esteems and raises that child up and lets them chase that dream is is one mode. The second mode, and I think this is the one that I always pick on the on the organized labor guys about, is crafts and tradesmen who their craft and trade has been so good to their family. It blesses them every single day. And they work exactly. harder to prevent their own kids from following in their footsteps than has ever been the case anywhere else in time. You won't find that crane operator that's sitting on the top of a tower crane on the 60th floor of a building, he's making with hazard pay and everything else, $150,000 a year, and he would never in a million years let his son or daughter work on that rig. And, and when, when the craft and trade are not replacing themselves, there's a fundamental disconnect that yes. happened there. There is, and that's what I what I was saying before. I think it's um, one, it's hard work, absolutely. Two, they they have a, a misguided perception of wanting something better for their children, um, and they and three, they take what they've got for granted. I mean, it's just uh, just I think it's that that is the biggest piece that they don't the reason the biggest reason that they don't promote their children to come into the craft into the trades or into the profession whatever it may be you know we broaden it out to the to the hospitality workers and so on it's it's that uh, taking it for granted that it becomes automatic for them that they should collect you know a, a paycheck every week for a couple of thousand dollars and and never even think that that paycheck at a couple thousand dollars a week is is in the upper 80th percentile of paychecks across the board. Yeah, and and I can't think of, you know, a better selling point in the fact that you can do it anywhere in the world. Yes. You yeah. know, a, a cruise ship needs a carpenter. Yep. A cruise ship needs a plumber. You don't have to do it right here in Las Vegas. You know, I've always had this picture in my mind of somehow, you know, uh, Nevada is in this Ivy League fight. We're trying to become a uh, medical school, lawyers, and, and this Ivy League um, um, uh, voc uh, learning environment when so many other colleges literally have hundreds of years of a jump start on us, right? right? How easy would it become for Nevada, or how easy would it be for Nevada to become the vocational mecca 
of the United States. I mean, right. you think about it. We have every craft and trade that you could ever want anywhere in the world. You can go work on a mining truck up in northern Nevada and take that same skill and go tune engines on on race cars or speedboats exactly. or tugboats. I mean, it's so transferable. And I, I think that our state misses some of that programmatic opportunity to to take the vocational excellence that we have here in this state mm-hmm. and and really become a destination well, there it. there is there is a another side that is is true because i've seen it over the course of the years is that um the lack of of good engineering programs within unlv mm-hmm. and within unr or even within uh the community college system um is is a detriment when it comes to attracting uh, companies diversification of the of the economy, if you will. There is there is uh, something to be said about having those programs, but um, when I was when I was monitoring this thing, as I said, I used to speak in every high school in Clark County, and even in some junior high schools, and that lasted maybe five or six years, and all of a sudden the invitation stopped. Right. And even though I got great reviews from the teachers, I got great reviews from the students, I got great reviews from the from the faculty at that point in time, over a period of time, it stopped because academia felt that everybody needed to go to college. And and overall they would ignore the numbers. In those days, in those days back in the uh, mid eighties, uh, less than twenty percent, less than twenty five percent of the students ever set foot inside a college. And yet, 90% of the curriculum was focused on preparation for college right. instead of preparation for life. Yep. That's the big deal right now. And uh, they don't get prepared for life. Uh, it used to be a joke among my contractor friends when I was uh, in my 60s, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. A kid comes out of high school and you show him a tape measure and he doesn't know one, two, three, four, five, six inches. More importantly, he doesn't even know one eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch because they have given no life skills. And recognizing even right now, I, I don't know exactly what the numbers are. I tried to do some reading and preparation for this, but it looks like there is still only about 35 to 40% of the graduating classes of the high schools that actually set foot inside a college. Yeah, and then and that's when they, sad. We're losing sixty percent of the population. Yep, and and I think that um, you know, and I, I was going to ask a, a, a question because um, we we have the programmatic side, right? You can throw money at things, you can hammer on the district, you can hammer on CSN. What's the message that you would give to families, to parents that might be listening to this podcast, trying to figure out, you know, they've stumbled across it uh, on a Sunday morning cup of coffee, and they're trying to figure out, you know, are they doing this thing right? What what would you say to the parents that are out there about how to set their children up for success in in the workforce? How, what role does that family unit play in in getting them involved? I think the family unit plays a really big role if the parents step up and take responsibility for it. Um, I think that, uh, one, as your mother and I tried to do with you and your brother, was to give you some options, the option of going to school or the option to, to learn it through the, through, um, the on, on OJT, on-job training. Uh, more importantly, I think it's, it's important for the parent to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay if you want to be a carpenter. It's okay if you want to be a rod buster because it's an honorable trade. You work hard, you get paid a lot of money to, for doing it, 
and you work basically five days a week. You know, in the, in in Las Vegas, we're a little bit different because we do have a lot of twenty four seven construction projects. But um, you get two days a week off to spend with your family. You get uh, a doggone good retirement program. And I think it's important for the parents to encourage their kids to take a look at something other than what what they're getting preached at at school. The parents need to get engaged and say, you know, what's enabled you to have the option of going to college is the fact that um, your dad is is the chef in one of these major rooms. Now, he had to go to school to that, but that... That profession allowed you to have some options. And, and you know what? Son, daughter, feel free to take those options. Yeah. Don't always think that there has to be another direction. Just because dad is in this, look at saying, yeah, maybe so, because this has treated our family really, really well. I, I always tell people, you know, the sooner that, that the family unit, what, I mean, and today that's the most diverse oh. in the world, right? I mean, broken homes, broken families, uh, families struggling to hold their own stuff together and their kids are watching all this. I just tried to tell parents, get faster to the yes. Yeah. Um, when that kid comes home and they're excited for anything, get faster to the yes, get faster to, to being okay with them giving that a shot. While they're young, <coughs> don't limit their choices while they're young. Life will do enough to your children down the road. You don't have to kind of do it to to them y- yourself. Um, you know, going back to speaking to the schools and stuff, uh, there was a, a study that Sun Construction had done with ASU a number of years ago, and I'll, I was on a panel in in Tucson talking about specific to construction why why kids don't come into construction and. It was a staggering statistic, like more than 70% of the kids entering our craft and trade in construction specifically come from single parent homes. Mm-hmm. And the the parent that's there condones or makes construction a option for that child by like sixth grade. Really? Right? So by sixth or seventh grade, the parent has either said no construction is not an option or possibly Mm -hmm. you can look at it as an option. So I've often turned my head away from the high school kind of thing into early junior high, right? And, Mm -hmm. and counselors and stuff. And today what we have too, in my opinion, is the most fractured school district we've ever had. Um, larger number of charter schools, private schools than ever, um, I'm sure that the statistics on the kids that are going to school from charter, going on to college from charter schools and private schools are probably higher than from the district. I would agree with that. But I don't believe that we can turn our back on them either, right? I mean, those those percentage may be inverse in those environments, but there's still something there. I, I'm, you know, we, we have uh, the, the superintendent for the Clark County School District sits on Workforce Connections Board. The president of College Southern Nevada works on or sits on the Workforce Connections Board of Directors. What would you say to them if they were sitting here in this room as like your step one, step two of solving some of this workforce shortage what would you want them to do at their level? I think it's pretty simple. Um, I think they need to start speaking um, with um, a voice of encouragement that there is another life out there besides academia. There is another life out there besides uh, going to college. And you know what? That life is honorable at all levels. That life is honorable. And uh, I think that that's what's deeply missing 
when I was going to high school in the 60s, uh, mid-60s, um, college wasn't hardly spoken about. And I appreciate the school district to a certain point starting to let kids explore that. But I, what I don't appreciate is that is that complete flip that happened in the mid-80s away from um, trades, away from tra- training, away from life skills into colleges 100% of the focus because there's so small portion of, of the student body that actually ends up there. I think that um, if the president of the, of the Clark County School uh, District and the president of, of CSN would just simply say, you know what? There are other options out there, and it's not, it's not okay to only consider a college degree because there's a lot of very honorable jobs out there that, will, that you can truly make a difference in people's lives with. I agree. I think that's, I think that's awesome. So we're going to kind of shift a little bit from the getting people into the workforce to kind of talk a little bit, you know, you've been um, out in the world, I will say, as um, a a semi-retired founder of a business. And you taught, you have a lot of friends that own businesses of their own. I'm sure you guys Mm -hmm. share stories and you have conversations. And um, what do you think is the largest challenge facing businesses in Southern Nevada that, that I'll say trickles down to workforce. I mean, workforce is always at the top of every headline in every newspaper. We're throwing more fripping money at it right now than we've ever thrown at the solution and we're not seeing it fix itself. So it's pretty obvious that the current, um, um, bury it with money approach isn't working. Um, what can business leaders and what should business uh, owners and entrepreneurs be doing to help themselves in this climate? I, th- I think that, uh, and that's a, that's a that's a pretty difficult question. It's it's a multiple staged question, from what I can see. One is is that um, uh, what can we do? Well, we can we can only do so much when the fate of our kids are. Um, pretty much governed from the time they leave our house at seven o'clock in the morning till they get home at two thirty or three o'clock by the teachers and by the administrators of the school district. And I don't want to make them out always bad because that's the world they've grown up in. So they certainly feel more comfortable speaking about that world, just like I feel more comfortable about speaking about trades job. But I think the the business owners and I, and you're right, I, over the course of the last six or seven years, I've been able to do a fair amount of traveling, always in the United States, and uh, for the most part, as I talk to other business owners, I have a, a good friend of mine from Texas, and he had a company in in, in Missouri, and um, his company he invented um, and patented the truck bed that's in probably about seventy percent of all the over the road semi trucks that you see going mm. down the road. His problems with um, finding trained people, finding life-skilled people coming out of high school in Missouri was exactly the same as, as we found in Las Vegas. As I said earlier, um, it was a joke among our superintendents whenever we would send somebody out that was 19 years old and they didn't know what a tape measure was and they didn't know what a foot and an eighth of an inch was. And, and he found exactly the same issue in Missouri. So it's not just a Las Vegas deal. I think that business owners and and uh, we owe a lot of responsibility or need to own a lot of responsibility f- 
for the situation we're in now as business owners. I don't think that the business owners of my era and in probably the next generation is starting to wake up, meaning your era and your brother's era, um, uh, is starting to wake up to the fact that, boy, we got to do something to help ourselves here because we always relied on the simple fact that um, there was going to be more bodies coming out of school than we could get them. That's not the case now. We have to fight for them all the time. And, and frankly, we got to uh, rely back in the, in the 2000s, early 2000s, rely on the Hispanic aspect. Uh, the uh, people coming in, uh, the Hispanics coming into this, into this community, we got to rely on them a lot. And, and I think that our industry, speaking for the construction industry, but I think many industries uh, started taking that fact for granted. And, and then, then the um, uh, bare facts started pointing up. And we didn't, I don't believe that industry has stuck enough attention into uh, uh, developing a workforce at all. They've left it to somebody else, and that's a, that's a bad, bad thing. If you take a look at Martin Harris Construction right now, and you take a look at the 10 to 12, 13 leaders, very, very senior leaders, the six people that make up the the board and then the people right below that, they were all basically homegrown. Mm-hmm. We had a training program in place. Um, you know, I, I sold Martin Harris Construction in, in 2014. Uh, I like to say this all the time. The six people I left there running that company when I when I sold, and two two and a half years later when I uh, moved out of the office, are still the same six people. But if you go back and look, I expended resources in training all of those people, and expand and and I was willing to expend that resource. And I think that our industry, whether it's the hospitality industry, or the construction industry, or the distribution industry has, has um, been reluctant to spend money to train people to do what they, what they need to do within their organizations. I believe that um, that is turning around, but um, I would suggest that if you truly got to look underneath the, the financial pages of the major companies, that uh, their budget for training and workforce development is pretty, pretty tiny, mm-hmm. pretty small, and and so a lot of the a lot of the problems we're facing today is the fact nobody spent time mentoring. Okay. Yeah, and I I think you bring up a, a really unique point. I I think <clears throat> the multi generational businesses the values have changed. Right. Exactly. I'd rather steal it from my competitor than build it myself. Yeah. You have throttled on the leadership of our company multiple times about not poaching. We don't take from their peers in the market. There's a difference between being a competitor and a peer. Yep. Right. And we've always been peers with yep. people in our market. Now there's a couple of people that come along that that you've kind of said, okay, you can go take from them. But for the most part, we build our own. We invest in our own training. Um, I think that's uh, something that that is missing from like a, a philosophical approach. Is can we? When it comes to people, you either build them or buy them. Mm-hmm. Those are really your only two options. And you built Martin Harris on the idea of building great people. Um, I think that needs to make a little bit of a comeback as well in, in businesses. Is that's that's in very people. true, son. Uh, building 
you know, I, I say all the time that uh, my wife, who I've been married to for 56 years, allowed me to go build companies and people. And, and I like to think that in some small way, I'm still building people. Um, building the company's part, I'm leaving to the younger generations. But um, I still am able to impact people and build people. And, and I get more satisfaction and get a lot more um, long-term results in the building the people side than I am, than we, we get just in building uh, revenue numbers. Sure. I mean, and that's, it really does always come back to the people and, and, you know, um, workforce connections is responsible for managing federal dollars that go into workforce development programs. And, um, you know, there are a ton of column inches of bad press. Mm -hmm. There's some real success stories out there. Um, but I've always treated it and viewed it as my time on the board as more of a programmatic solution or a funding source, right? I mean, it's where the money comes from. I'm still struggling, even as a board member sitting here today, of how to get business owners and entrepreneurs to step in and step up and do their part. I mean, I, I made the statement um, one time to to a couple of people from the Clark County School District at a planning session, and I said, you know, the, this isn't a workshop. Uh, this isn't a, a wood shop conversation. This isn't a metal shop conversation because mom and dad won't let the kids go to wood shop. So that's where I struggle with the whole conversation around workforces is it has to be one of those things that starts organically and it has to be mm -hmm. a group of people that have the value system behind it to keep that that moving forward. Um, we'll move on to just uh, like a couple of bigger picture uh, questions. Um, how... how how much does, how do you see the construction industry um, contributing to like the regional prosperity in the state of Nevada? I mean, uh, how do you see our impact? From a, from a tax standpoint or from a, a, um, uh, uh, a life standpoint? So I'm born and raised in Las Vegas. I've never lived any place else. You moved around a lot before you got to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. it, for me, a, a life perspective, because, you know, I, if, if I had to sit, if I had a bunch of sixth graders and their parents locked in a room with just me and them, and I could tell them why construction is where they should be or why the trades, why the trades are so normal, what would you have me tell them? What I would have them, what I, what I would say is that it is um, the construction industry, uh, the hospitality industry, the distribution industry are all honorable industries. They can um, both as parents look at your children that are successful in those areas and be proud of them. And as parents that work in those areas, you need to be proud of what you've created because basically you have created, either through the hospitality, the distribution industry, which is huge right now, um, and, and the construction industry, um, you've basically made this valley and you've made it what it is. I mean, this valley is known worldwide. I don't go any place when I, when, I tell, when I tell people, I say, where are you from? And I say, Las Vegas. And then the next statement, and they go, oh, I said, have you ever been there? And they said, well, yeah. And then my next question was, did you leave money there? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, I said, then I can be your friend. Absolutely. When After you've lost money, come back. I'll be your friend then if yep. you haven't lost money up to this point. But uh, I think that the construction industry contributes a lot 
from the standpoint of um, having fair and equitable um, laws, regulations um, that treat businesses fairly. And they can contribute a lot more, in my opinion, become a lot more influential. I mean, if you take a look at the top uh, 10 construction companies in this town, we probably employ 15,000 people or more. And that's a big impact uh, on, a, on a regional basis. And I think uh, construction in the state of Nevada is still the second largest employer in the state. And during COVID, we were the largest the employer largest. for almost 20 months because yep. all the hospitality was shut down. And, um, you know, our industry responded to COVID really, really well. And we kept three quarters of a million, half a million construction workers off unemployment. Right. We kept them essential and kept them working. And I'm really, I, as a construction guy, I'm so proud of our industry and the way it behaved. And and I, I that's what I'm saying about becoming more uh, forceful, more involved from that standpoint. That's a message that needs to be put out. Yeah. Um, the other side is there can be people that will say, well, you know what, that that was uh, just because of favoritism from the governor. It was favoritism from this, favoritism for that. And, and in reality, it really wasn't because construction work is a safe environment. Construction work can be made to be extremely safe. Our industry in the Las Vegas Valley proved that exponentially, that sure. it was safe. And, and uh, that contributes a lot to the regional prosperity. The fact that the convention center could go ahead and get built during the height of the pandemic and be ready to accept hundreds of thousands of tourists when we came out of it, I think that's an awesome yeah. um, testimony to the industry. And, and if you take a look up and down the strip, um, Resorts World, built ready for the tourists when the town opened back up. Yep. Be, but it was, and it was done safely. And so that is, I think that's a major contribution. And e even in the last 24 months that the construction industry has made to the quality of life in Las Vegas, because we're all now, I keep looking at the numbers for the casinos. The numbers keep going up and up and up yep. three successive months of over a billion dollars in revenue. That's amazing. Yep. And it wouldn't have been that way if we hadn't done some preparation work in that previous 20 months. That makes sense? Oh, yeah. And and I'll, I mean, as a testimony that I know, you know, the minute that we got kind of uh, an indication that they were going to open the city back up to even 50% capacity, we started getting phone calls from the hospitality industry into our office going, hey, we need to do a room renovation. We yep. need to get a restaurant rebuilt. We need to close this. We need to ch make these changes. And um, we, we saw our, our city and our, our workforce really behave really well through that whole thing. And I, I, I would scream that from the, from the rooftops for sure. So a couple of the key um, partnerships that uh, uh, Workforce Connections enjoys, one of them is certainly the LVGEA. Um, with everything that they know that's coming to town and kind of keeping their thumb on their workforce blueprint that they just put out, um, the new revision of it kind of showing what are the most in-demand um, uh, jobs coming into Southern Nevada. Um, as we're members, uh, Martin Harris Construction is members of LBGEA, um, tell everybody kind of what the, the value of an organization like that is for planning and forecasting and, and uh, engagement. I see that kind of an organization. Uh, it's basically a marketing organization for our community and our valley. And, and in some instances, they go a little wider and go statewide too. 
I've been I've been involved in that for a long, long time. The predecessor to LVGEA was NDA, Nevada Development Authority. And I sat on their boards, and I sit on the LVGEA board now. I think that uh, organizations like LVGEA, um, they have taken it to a whole nother level that uh, NDA, far above what NDA ever did, in my opinion. I think they're extremely valuable. Um, they do face a, a challenge with workforce, and so it, it serves their mission and vision uh, to be a part of workforce development, absolutely, because they have to go out and sell to the new companies that are looking at coming into the Las Vegas Valley um, that there are people available, that there are people in training, that there are training programs for them. So it's it's suitable that they should be involved. And um, to me, the LVGEA has expanded um, their horizon with the types of companies that they attract. You know, it's one thing for an Amazon or a Fanatics or somebody like that that comes in. The other side is, is that some of these little companies that only employ 18 to 25 when they come into the Valley and two years later they employ 250 is, it, to me, it's just absolutely astonishing that uh, uh, they can thrive like that in the Valley. So when you have companies that can grow organically within Las Vegas, that LVGEA has seen a value of bringing an 18-employee company in yep. and then helping them build up, is, is um, it, it reinforces. You know, you can, there's only so many 5,000-employee companies out there. But when you start building them organically, uh, I think that's invaluable. It's, and, and LVGA certainly seems to be focused on doing that. Yeah, I've attended a couple of the lead gen trips where they go mm-hmm. and they talk to, I mean, people as small as 25, 30 employees, exactly. but they're on the cutting edge of a component yep. that fits the product that the 5,000 employee yep. Goliath builds, right? I mean, yep. and, and so we're touching them at many different places. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for, again, stepping out on the trust plank just a little bit with me. Um, I've enjoyed our time together today. I thank everybody for tuning in and spending some time with us here for the Workforce Connection podcast. Until next time, stay safe.